You are listening to Creation Talk, a creation.com podcast, proclaiming the truth to honor the Creator while providing credible answers. Well, if you were around, ladies and gentlemen, for our podcast uh, where we had three of us uh, with Dr. Jonathan Safdie and Dr. Robert Carter, we dealt with the issue of vaccines. Uh, that certainly sparked uh, a lot of interest. Today, we're going to be talking about COVID-19, another very emotional and touchy subject. But first, let me welcome you guys. How are you going there, Rob? I'm doing great. And Jonathan? Yeah, good day, everyone. Uh, so far. Good. So far, you can hear me. We, we might feel battered and bruised at the end of this, so we'll see how we go. You know, Rob, uh, <laughs> over 12 months ago, I think it was January 2019, uh, there was an outbreak in Wuhan, China, of what is called, and I'm going to look at it here, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2, here and after, known as SARS-2. But uh, we were speculating. I mean, we were looking at the Chinese efforts, putting up hospitals quickly. The whole city was locked down. Uh, We were speculating and saying, wow, this is a serious disease. Can you imagine if it reached America and went around the world and, you know, they were locking down cities like Atlanta and I New could not York, conceive of anyone locking down a city. It was so foreign, that thought. You know, can you imagine if uh, we live in Atlanta, if, if this happened to Atlanta or you're if in they, New York or you're in Brisbane, Australia or yeah, they London? They quarantine a major city in the Western world. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So, folks, so, this, is, this is horrible. Yeah, and uh, here we are 12 months later. And then, of course, a few months after that, we, we were, you know, dealing with the pandemic in our countries, and we did another uh, video on it to kind of explain the death rate uh, that was mm. uh, the death toll that was occurring. And one of the things is this is a brand new disease. This is new to humans. And so I kind of think now 12 months on, we have different treatment regimes. We're getting better at it. But Robert, this is still a drastically deadly disease, isn't it? It is still a drastically deadly disease. And one of the reasons for that is that we're naive to it. The human immune system has never seen this virus before. And therefore, like 90 to 95% of the world population are susceptible to it. That's greater than anything that's been circulating for years, like influenza or cold viruses or anything like that. So, Jonathan, people kind of downplay it because they say, well, the mortality rate is, you know, it's only going to affect 1% of the population. And I I have to be honest here, I've been a little dismayed Mm. at some emails I've received from Christians who say, you know, I mean, politics aside, whether the, you know, we we think lockdowns are good or bad, we're not trying to get into that. But Mm. they have said in these emails, and these are Christians who've said, well, it's only you know, the morbidly obese or the sick that are going to die anyway. So, you know, why not let it take its course? Well, that's a very heartless thing to do because these people who are obese or have diabetes or hypertension, their case, their diseases were pretty well managed and they had a long, many years to look forward to. Uh, and yet the, this COVID put them over the edge and killed them. So even though they had comorbidities, they, these would not have killed them were it not for yeah. the virus. And to be callous about their death, that's not the Christian way of thinking, I would have thought. We shouldn't be so callous about people who are going to die anyway. So let's hasten the process with a very nasty way of dying. Yes, and I think, uh, you know, I suspect that a lot of those comments have come from people who uh, haven't suffered a death in their family. 
You know, I, mm. I was saying to our staff that uh, it was just after Christmas that, you know, just in America alone where we've now had 500,000 deaths, how many absent places there were at the Christmas dinner table. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a way to think about it of people that might not otherwise die. While I'm talking to you, though, Jonathan, how deadly is it when we talk in terms of percentages? And, and give us a, a comparison, say, to the flu, which we deal with mm. every year. Okay, the thing is, the only way you're going to talk about mortality rate is the number of deaths divided by number of cases. And when you do that, you consistently get around about 2%, whether it's in the United States or worldwide. You see, you've had um, about 500,000 deaths of COVID in this country and about 28,000 cases. That amounts to a bit under 2% death rate. So that's a lot of deaths to, to go around. But also, death is not the only thing to worry about because now we know about a third yeah. of these mm-hmm. um, the survivors have what's called long-haul COVID, which means they're um, very ill for months on end. They lose their sense of smell. The virus seems to get into people's brains, so they report brain fog. Um, uh, it's a really dicey thing. And so that means loss of productivity, loss of quality of life, loss of that workplace absenteeism. That, that's a terrible toll on society. Yes, it's uh, similar. My own doctor described it, that the symptoms are very similar to chronic fatigue. And uh, as someone yeah. who's suffered from that for years, very debilitating, just hits you out of the blue. You get a reoccurrence assist of the symptoms. I remember some stages I didn't even have the energy to walk up a flight of stairs, which sounds mm. just unbelievable, but it is uh, extremely serious. Oh, wow. So, Rob, the reality is those people would be alive today if they didn't have COVID. And it was a, a little bit distressing that in some evangelical circles, we saw some leaders claiming that we'd kind of been conned because of a CDC report that listed cobal- comorbidities. Help break that down for folks, what that actually means. There was early on in the pandemic, a lot of problems with reporting of death statistics because we did not have a system in place for doing that that was consistent amongst all the municipalities in this country. We've never had to do that. No one ever needed an instantaneous death count of how many people died that day across the entire United States. And so there was some confusion early on. But those bugs were worked out, and we've got a very nice, consistent system now. And if someone dies of a bacterial infection that was caused by coronavirus, or SARS-2, what do you call it? And so there was debate on is, you know, do you list SARS-2 first and something, you know, bacterial pneumonia second, or did the bacterial pneumonia kill the person? And there's a lot of debate. And so what we read was that only 6% of people who were listed to have died with uh, SARS-2 actually only died with SARS-2. And so that that made some people think, oh, that means only 6% of the people actually are dying with it and 94% of it is false. No, that's not true. They also had the virus. And just like uh, Jonathan said a couple of minutes ago, they would still be alive were it not for the virus. Well, you got the other case, like the bacteria, the secondary bacterial infection would not have arisen if the yeah. SARS-2 virus had not weakened your system. The, the cytokine storm, the vascular failure, the heart or lung uh, hearts filling up with with liquid that would not have happened without the virus. The virus caused these other conditions. You may as well say that you can fall out of an airplane. That's not dangerous because everyone who fell out of an airplane also had a comorbidity of blunt force trauma when they hit the ground. But of course, course the, also, the hitting the ground is what uh, is caused by falling off the airplane. Also noticing, and this is only coming out over long term statistics, that the death rate after someone recovers from SARS-2 is much higher Mm. across the board. 
Now, if you've recovered from it and you die from a heart attack or something else a month or two later, that's not SARS-2 is not going to be listed on your death certificate, mm, even yeah. though that most certainly is something that triggered something else that popped up a month or two later. And so yeah. death rates are increasing, and it's really actually shocking. Yes, I mean, there was a tragic case uh, in the UK that was reported where uh, it was, I think it was a young 18-year-old man had caught, caught SARS-2, and he'd recovered, and he had to be tested before he went back to work, and his test was all clear. He was feeling fine. A month later, he got sick again, and he went to his doctor, and his doctor said, well, it can't be SARS-2 because you've already had it, and he actually mm. died. So his actual secondary occurrence was worse than the first. And I suppose I can encapsulate this. I remember also a young lady doctor in the UK uh, posting a video, and she said, look, I, I suffer with diabetes. She's insulin-dependent diabetes. She's slim and fit. She says, I train and I run marathons, right? But if I get SARS-2, it's likely to kill me, right? Mm. So it's, it's the SARS-2 that would kill her. Otherwise, she could live a happy, healthy, productive life. Correct, Jonathan? Well, absolutely. I mean, diabetics these days um, um, live very healthy. Like We've got a diabetic um, on this US Supreme Court right now who's been diabetic since childhood. So, but the coronavirus could easily kill them. Let, let's just be clear. This is a deadly disease. You know, yes. in the US, as we record this, there's about 27 million people infected, half a million dead. Probably mm. four times that number of people get infected with the flu each year, but on average only 30,000 die. So it's far deadlier than the flu and other things. And the resulting mm. secondary conditions, of use, as you've described, uh, you know, even potentially more serious than actually getting it. Now, if people want to look at one of our earlier podcasts, we three guys did one on vaccines. We actually have a potential cure and remedy right in front of us. In fact, again, as we record, there's been about 200 million people vaccinated with the various vaccines that are around the world, and the infection rates have absolutely plummeted. Rob? Uh, yeah, the vaccine is proven short-term effective and short-term safe. Now, some people say, oh, yeah, but we don't know about the long-term effects. Well, fine, but we don't know the long-term effects of anything we do. I mean, what about plastics in our, you know, using plastic drinking water in our beverage containers? I mean, is that going to kill us? Well, probably not. What about, you know, yeah. X, Y, and Z? There's all these unknowns that we constantly face. And yet it's not like we don't know anything about long-term effects. We've been vaccinating people for over 100 years, 150 or so years, and they're not dropping like flies after, flies after 20 years of getting a vaccine. Yeah. So there's no indication that this is going to kill us later. But when people hear that, like, oh, I don't know if there's a long-term effect, I want to be careful. And it yeah, kind of derails them from uh, rationally approaching this. They need to yeah. think of relative risk, you see. Uh, they should be uh, thousands of times more worried about the virus than the vaccine because a vaccine doesn't reproduce. Um, when the yeah. virus gets into one of your cells, it forces the reproductive machinery to make a thousand new viruses. Eat, all of them have RNA, all of them have spike proteins, and all of them ready to do the same thing to other cells, you see. Uh, so why be afraid of a, a vaccine but not be afraid of the virus, which can do far more damage to you, kill far more cells, everything? Especially yeah, because unlike the flu virus where most people don't catch a flu virus every year, most people are going to catch uh, SARS-2 if we allow it to propagate fully, if we don't do social distancing. Yeah, yeah and of course, uh, SARS-2 is a lot more infectious, 
a lot more contagious than the flu. Yeah. And uh, there are variants going around now that have increased the infectivity of it. So, Jonathan, one of the things too, uh, vaccines have been produced very quickly. That kind of concerns people. Uh, we know in the US, you know, we can applaud the administration at the time for cutting a lot of red tape. The technology was actually already being worked on for another uh, potential virus that uh, was deadly, and uh, it got switched to SARS-2, and then it went through testing, and it went through trials. And in fact, the trials, my understanding, these are the largest human trials in history for any vaccine because we're in the middle of a pandemic, and literally hundreds of thousands of people were putting their hands up and saying, yes, I'll be a, I'll be a guinea pig. And of course, it's been, it's been proven safe. now. People say, well, what about the side effects? I mean, what are the listed side effects uh, so far? I said 200 million people have been vaccinated as we do this. Well, I mean, the worst uh, side effect is usually anaphylactic shock, okay? But the thing is, that happens uh, about 15 minutes after you get a shot. That's why uh, when you go and get a shot, they may ask you to stay around for 15 minutes so they can monitor you for safety. And if you get a shock, you can get an EpiPen injection, okay? Um, but that's that happens really quickly. It's not short-term. It is, it's a, it is a very short-term thing, not a long-term thing. And only about a few cases per million doses have had anaphylaxis. So when you consider that to 2% mortality rate, 30% long COVID rate, I mean, the, the risk-benefit analysis is far in favor of the vaccine and, and not the disease, Okay. Yes, I kind of think, I mean, there's so much scepticism, unfortunately, particularly in Christian circles. And if people watch our other vaccine podcast, we were saying, the, you know, healing medicines are a good thing to stave off the effects of, obviously, serious illness and, and death. And, you know, I've kind of, uh, to be honest, been a little disappointed because I'm excited that there is a cure. Mm. There, there, I'm excited. I feel like shouting it from the rooftops and clearing away the scepticism, Rob, because we have something that can heal people and stop them getting sick. Now, you wrote about the new mRNA uh, vaccines, two in mm -hmm. particular developed by Pfizer and uh, Moderna, an article on our website. The technology behind this is actually, I mean, it's been around for a while, but it, you could still call it revolutionary, groundbreaking. Revolutionary. I mean, this is, has potential cures for cancer and HIV and all sorts of things in the future, doesn't it? It has a potential for being a very rapid development platform for anything. So we're, we're not going to miss in the future, we're not going to miss the influenza virus because it morphed on us while we're growing the virus in chicken eggs like we used to do. We're going to be like, oh, yeah. that's the variant uh, circulating in Toledo. Hey, hey, Toledo, we're going to send you this. And they're going to be able to adjust it on the spot, nationwide, locally, whatever for a lot of different diseases. I mean, the technology, you know, putting safety, putting efficacy aside, the technology is brilliant. Mm, Just the yeah. thought that you could put a little fat blob in your arm muscle and your cells will absorb that fat blob and inside that little blob of fat is a piece of RNA. The cell will say, oh, there's RNA. I'm going to make proteins. The proteins go to the outside of the cell and that trains your immune system. Safe, mm. rapid. I mean, it is brilliant. We're just taking God's design and harnessing that and using that mm. to do something really smart. It's a whole lot better than injecting yourself with a heat-killed virus. And now you don't need yeah, mercury as a preservative. You don't need aluminum as an adjuvant. There's all mm. this great safety things. This is a huge improvement over any old technology. Yeah, and I, I note you mentioned it's going to be in our arm, not on our forehead or our hand or wrist. So, you know, <laughs> read, read the book of Revelation, ladies and gentlemen. But, Rob, let me just continue with you because – 
there's been thoughts of people saying it's going to rewrite your DNA. You know, we're going to grow a, a second yeah. head in 10 years time, this type of stuff. Well, there are a lot of people concerned about this. In fact, some of our friends in the ministry are concerned about this. The, my answer to this is, if this vaccine can rewrite our DNA, then getting the viral infection is a million times worse. Because, I mean, if you take just a single protein, that's not even the, the original protein, they modified it. It's a, it's a modified protein with a weird codon signature. And if that can actually somehow get turned into DNA, get sucked into the nucleus and incorporate itself into, the, into your genome, well, getting infected with a virus is making millions of copies of itself and all of your cell body cells, that is much more likely to occur. And yet, there's not much, hardly any evidence for it. Now, HIV does this. But HIV has the mechanisms, it has the genetic things required for getting itself into the nucleus and integrating into the genome. Coronaviruses but, don't have yeah. that, and the vaccine is not even a whole coronavirus. Far better so, just not to, uh, not to get it, obviously, uh, mm, the virus in the yeah. first place. So, Jonathan, I'm going to ask you about this, and we did cover this in our other podcast, but the concept of uh, using fetal cells in the production of vaccines. Now, we used mRNA, and I should have qualified. We're talking about messenger RNA. The vaccines that, yes. uh, that are the two most popular that seem to be just stopping COVID in its tracks are using this messenger RNA technology. Technology. My understanding is the fetal cells that came from an aborted baby, HEK293 in the 1970s, are not used in the production, but they were used in testing to obviously test right. the reaction. Help people the, understand it, what's the issue with those cells. Well, see, see, viruses are not really living things. They need to have a living thing to hijack machinery and reproduce themselves. And see, bacteria don't need living <laughs> tissue. They can be cultured on a medium, so uh, nutrient medium. So there's no issue with fetal cells for bacterial vaccines like tetanus, diphtheria, Haemophilus. But the thing is, this RNA also is not a virus. It doesn't need culturing on living material. It can be uh, reproduced in the lab. You see, you've got the polymerase reactions that reproduce RNA. So again, that doesn't need any cells for culturing. The only use for them is for testing the virus, uh, for testing, but not for culturing. So there's a lot more remoteness to the baby issue with the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, because they don't need culturing, only testing. I think even testing is something we could do with adult stem cells in the future, and won't we yeah. even need that? Yeah, and I, sus I suspect that is exactly where it's going, because there's lots of vaccines that don't have even have that remote connection now to fetal cells. But I I'm going to ask you this while we're here, John. You mentioned babies. The latest email, viral email doing the rounds is it's going to cause infertility, so young women shouldn't take it. But that goes back to what Rob said just before. If you're worried about infertility from the vaccine, you should be far more worried about it from the virus itself. Anything the vaccine can do, the virus can do a million times worse. Yeah. Now, there is yeah. a little teeny section of the DNA that's similar to a particular gene that helps with the development of placenta. But it's only a small. I mean, there's if you look at any protein, there's going to be little pieces of that protein that match up to other proteins at random. And the virus so has is, that too. You see, the virus has that, that very yeah, same thing. So why not be afraid it. of the virus? And the common cold viruses that are coronaviruses have something similar. They don't cause sterilization. So it's, it's something that, you know, it's floated out there. Someone needs to say, okay, we have to answer this. Okay, now it's been answered. Let it, now yeah. we have to just let it go. It's, it's not something that looks like it's a viable fear or a viable threat. And already, I mean, by the time this, uh, this podcast uh, gets put up, um, there'll be 
probably another 100 million people added to the total of the 200 million people around the world that have already had it. The largest human trials in history. It's been shown to be extremely safe and it's been shown to be extremely effective. Now, in Israel, for example, Jonathan, I think they've got the largest percentage of the population, 85%. And what are we talking about uh, as a percentage of a drop in infection rates? You're getting about 90% drop in infection rate, even more. Uh, it's really uh, plummeted the infection rate in Israel. But and again, perfectly safety. I mean, if it was even a thousandth as deadly as the virus, we should be seeing thousands of deaths after a vaccine. We're just not seeing that. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. the safety so and efficacy is proven. So during the trials, they said that uh, the two vaccines we're talking about, the mRNA vaccines, were proving 92 to 93% effective. In fact, that's actually the figures we're seeing in real-world application. So we've established a very serious, deadly disease, and uh, that's the data shows that. It's, it's not fudged. It's not fake. In fact, we actually all know people who've had it and have unfortunately died from it. The vaccines have proved effective. We've only just touched on that here. Again, go to our other podcast for more details on vaccines. But Rob, I want to touch on another uh, really sensitive issue. And again, getting away from the politics, but you know, people have been thrown off flights and there's been fights out the front of grocery stores because mm. people want to invoke their liberty and their civil rights about wearing masks. Now, we're going to talk about a, a few aspects of that. What about the effectiveness of masks. I mean, they're not perfect, but combined with social distancing, do, does it actually work? If you listed all the potential strategies that we can employ to combat this virus, masks are actually on the bottom. They're the least effective of all the, the potential things to do, but that doesn't mean they have zero effect. In fact, what they're very good at and what they're designed to do is not filter out viruses. That's ridiculous. What they do is they take an airstream, like I'm breathing now. If I go, I just breathed all over, all over my computer screen. But if I had a mask on, that's impossible because mm. the airflow is broken up into many diff diffuse little teeny air, air streams. And so the circulation from my breath is dramatically curtailed because there's not one big airstream. There's lots of little ones. Also, viruses aren't free particles. They're contained in water droplets. And the mask, first of all, gets rid of the big water droplets by breaking up the airflow into a lot, a lot of smaller, uh, slowly moving streams. Those water droplets don't hang in the air as long. So it absolutely cuts down the propagation of the virus from one person to the other. No, it's not perfect. And most people don't use them correctly. And that's been a big problem. You know, you've all seen the yeah. cashier at the grocery store going like this and then taking your credit card. Ah! <laughs> But it doesn't covering, mean that they're not effective. On them. Yeah. yeah. So, so they do what they're supposed to do, mm. but they're not great. It's not supposed yeah. to be great. It's step step one in the levels of protection. Well, we know they well, worked because yeah. they were employed at they were employed towards the uh, or in the middle of the 1917-18 uh, Spanish flu pandemic because they even realized back then that uh, viruses could be transmitted in aerosols, et cetera. So, and by looking at the cities that employed stringent you know, social distancing and masking versus ones that didn't, you can see a difference in the infection rate in those cities 
even back in the 1970, 1980s. Well, I mean, here's some things yeah. to consider. I mean, at surgical operating theaters, all the staff have to wear masks. I mean, why would they, these medically trained people wear masks if it didn't have some effect on it? And when yeah. you cough or sneeze, don't you cover your mouth and nose to put mm. up a barrier between you, the virus, anything, anything you might be transmitting and any yeah. other people? It's it's not perfect, but it's still, yeah. it, it's um, perfection. But it it breaks required. up the airflow. Yeah. When you cough or sneeze, yeah. you're projecting by putting your, like this or this, it, it's broken up into lots of little teeny airstreams, exactly what it's supposed it's to do. It's called the Nirvana fallacy. People say, if it's not perfect, we shouldn't use it at all. But most things we have are not perfect, but it's all a yeah. lot better than nothing. Exactly. So, Jonathan, I remember seeing, I have to say, it was an awful video of well-meaning Christians saying, mm -hmm. uh, testifying in Florida, saying, you know, why do you want to inhibit God's perfectly designed breathing system <laughs> and reduce oxygen flow to our bodies? But uh I noticed you grabbed a little mask there. So what yeah. are you up to? Well, what I'm doing is I've actually got a pulse oximeter. You see, the top line is the pulse rate, a little bit high, just got it jumped up and down. 97, And 97, the bottom yep. is the oxygen saturation. So it should be a hundred is the most you get with the bottom line. Now, I put the mask on. Right. See, my and mask going is to be on. no change. The thing is, if you're worried about the mask not stopping viruses, they're not going to stop oxygen molecules either because oxygen molecules are far smaller than viruses are. Yeah. So it's irrational to say it's not going to stop uh, viruses, <laughs> but it's going to uh, stop my oxygen uh, flow. But you see my, my saturation is just as much wearing the mask as without a mask. It was 97% before and after the mask was on. I'm wearing the mask properly, I can promise you. Yeah, it has Plus, a, has our a body breathes in reaction to how much carbon dioxide is in our blood. We don't have an oxygen sensor. Yeah. And, exactly. But the carbon dioxide level is balanced by the amount of oxygen, so it's, it breaks even. And not only yeah. that, the amount of air we breathe in and out every time is almost nothing compared to a little teeny bit of air trapped between your mask and your mouth. So yeah. percentage-wise, we're not talking about anything important. Now, in the U.S., uh, we, we brace ourselves and we do as a ministry because, you know, our U.S. office alone, we speak in over 300 churches a year. Our speakers mm. are at very, very high risk during the, uh, the winter, the flu season of, of catching it, shaking lots of hands, traveling on planes. We actually pay for flu vaccinations for our staff, so they're protected mm -hmm. and their families are, are protected. When the, we have the, the flu vax here in our winter, they're judging or they're trying to manufacture that flu vax on the flu that's already happened in the Southern Hemisphere, which is mm -hmm. the middle of the year, and then mm -hmm. they try to get up, build up stocks, etc. But an interesting phenomenon this year has occurred, Jonathan, is that there's been very, very small cases or small amounts of flu in the Southern Hemisphere, like in our home country of Australia, for example. Mm. So what does that really tell us statistically? Well, I mean, it's interesting that a, a, something designed to stop transmission of one airborne virus like the SARS-2 has this flow-on effect of stopping other airborne viruses like influenza. I think this is the reason that the flu season was almost non-existent in the Southern Hemisphere because these things actually are stopping viral transmission. Gosh, my mask has got a bit, a bit damp. And that proves it's working. It's stopping water droplets. So it's yeah. working. That's why it's damp. But it's not just yeah. the Southern Hemisphere. We also had no flu season in the Northern Hemisphere this year. And it's not like doctors recoded the flu as COVID because we've done tens of thousands of influenza tests. Yeah, the, the social distancing, hand washing, plastic protection, uh, using credit cards instead of cash, masks, all of these things have had a dramatic effect, not just influenza, RSV also. All mm. of the airborne viruses dropped precipitously because we changed our behavior. And if we hadn't have done that, the number of COVID-19, this COVID-19 sickness rate would have been orders of magnitude higher than it was. Mm. 
Yeah. And it's still terrible, which is just and the reason it's high is because it's so much more infectious than the other viruses. I mentioned earlier that I was a little disappointed by getting emails from Christians saying we shouldn't take you know measures to protect the most vulnerable in our society. There's another aspect here, and I've kind of had you know heated debates, unfortunately, with some who've you know kind of had that point and said, "Well, I refuse to wear a mask." As Christians, surely it's not about us. <laughs> It's not about us. No. Jesus' example was one of sacrifice mm-hmm. for people that yep. he loved. I should, one, not only protect myself for the benefit of my family, if I'm a, a breadwinner or a caregiver, etc. but what about the principles of love thy neighbor? When you wear a mask, you're not so much protecting yourself, but you are protecting others around you, your neighbor, the person next to you in the grocery aisle, etc. So I know in the US, uh, you know, our freedom of speech laws are a little different to a lot of other countries, and we, we're blessed with a lot of freedoms here. But I would mm-hmm. suggest, guys, that our freedoms come with responsibilities. And yeah. the responsibilities is to first love your neighbor. What did Jesus say the two greatest commandments were? <laughs> right? mm-hmm. So yeah. it was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor mm-hmm. as yourself. yourself. Rob? Well, absolutely. Like what you just said, I 100% agree with. I don't say anything else except maybe to understand that throughout all of human history, rugged individualism really has never existed. Now, I am in no way, shape, or form a socialist or a communist, and we're not even getting into that, but we do have to work together as a society, and we do have to watch out for each other. And Honestly, one of the biggest reasons why I want to get this vaccine is not even to protect myself. It's because I want to help protect vulnerable people. I mean, my parents are 83 years old and my Mm. mom's getting very frail. She's not going to survive if she catches this. And I want to go see them. And so by protecting myself, I'm also protecting other people, people that I love and care for and plus strangers I don't even know. And Jonathan, the pandemic's not going to end soon. Uh, I've heard uh, the CDC of Fauci people say, you know, it's going to continue well into 2022. So even even with a robust uh, vaccine measure. So, you know, employing these measures, vaccines, mm-hmm. mask wearing, distancing, they're all part of it, right? Well, yeah, but the sooner we can get the population mostly vaccinated, the sooner this pandemic will end. That's the bottom line. So that this, everyone should be vaccinated. We get up to 95% vaccination. Uh, that should be enough herd immunity to kill this thing. Yeah. The, the new mRNA vaccines can also adjust to any mutant strains really, really quickly, far quicker than the old traditional vaccines made by culturing viruses themselves. Well, I tell you, we literally could talk for hours. Uh, mm. As a minister, yes. we received lots of emails on these and, and this Frequently podcast. Frequently have for hours, yeah. Uh, on COVID-19 <laughs> and the previous one on vaccines were a little bit longer than normal. But we really wanted to let you know it's not like we haven't thought about these things. And I repeat that we are a biblically a sound, I believe, science organisation. We approach our world through the lens of Scripture and hopefully that's what we're encouraging you to do. Maybe there's some topics we didn't cover. Look at the articles, please, in the links before commenting. Uh, There's some very, very comprehensive articles on all of this. Our aim is to whet your appetite for more information. And to do that, don't forget on creation.com, we have almost 15,000 articles. There's over 40 years worth of creation research. And guess what? All those articles are free. So thanks, guys. Appreciate the time today. And thanks for you at home, wherever you are, for listening and for watching. And we'll see you next time on Creation Talk.